Don't you know that you so wrong, man? You're wrong and here's why. Chris and Greg don't see eye to eye. Like none of the time. Robert Covington sticks. I don't care what you think. How is LeBron James the king when he's ruining teams? Yo, wrong and here's why. Underdog Sports presents. Yo, wrong and here's why. Underdog Sports presents. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of You're Wrong and Here's Why. I'm Chris Horwardell, joined, as always, by the one, the grouchy, Greg Crone. Gregory, how are you? Sir, the rich just get richer, it always seems, in the NBA. I'll be honest. Hornets? Yeah, obviously. Uh, the NBA draft lottery has just concluded as we air this. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a ton more, I have BovadaSportsbook.com open in front of me. We're going to use them for all the lines and props and all that good stuff as we do every single week. Let's talk draft lottery, Greg. Um, pretty much chalk, which was boring up until the number five pick. We go uh, New Orleans. We go Toronto. We go Oklahoma City. Was uh, I was rooting for the OKC team to jump up and get that number one pick just to watch uh just to watch Vic and Chet play together for a decade would be fun. Uh, number 11 is the Bulls, and that pick goes to the Orlando Magic. Number 10 is the Mavericks. After hardcore tanking to finish the season, <laughs> they retain their selection, does not go to the Knicks. Number 9, the Utah Jazz. Number 8, the Washington Wizards. Number 7, the Indiana Pacers. Number 6, the Orlando Magic. Those two scared me that the, either of those teams were going to jump up. Number five, this is the uh, this is the unfortunate one. The big losers of draft night, the Detroit Pistons, fall four spots from their project, projected draft order. Number four, the Houston Rockets fall two spots from two to four. Number three, the Portland Trailblazers jump two spots from five to three. Number two, the Hornets jump two spots from four to two. And also jumping two spots and winning the NBA draft lottery. The San Antonio Spurs will uh, will be the home club of one Victor Wembanyama. What do you think of this fit for San Antonio? I mean, I don't think it matters at the moment. <laughs> I think no. it's fit. We'll worry about fit a year from now, two years from now. It's you, you couldn't like if you're if you're gonna put him in a franchise that's been struggling, that's been a perennial winner for years and years and years you kind of put him in the exact right spot with a coach who's one of the best to ever do it and a guy who's taken number one picks and turned them into NBA champions, and you certainly got a, a very good option here. The The Spurs picked first in 1987 when they took a center from the Naval University. David Robinson worked out pretty well. 1997, they picked number one. Philadelphia picks number two, ends up with Keith Van Horn. Uh, yes, they, San Antonio picks a center from Wake Forest, ends up playing power forward for a while. He's a Hall of Famer in Tim Duncan. And now what, uh, 26 years later, they take a guy who, I mean, there's an argument to be made that he is the single greatest draft prospect of all time. And in the absolute creative player, 7-5 and potentially still growing, 8-1, 8-2, they're saying wingspan. Victor Wembanyama, the French standout, incredible. 
Yeah, I mean, it, like, and it's it's so funny to say that. I was talking to uh, my wife while we were putting the kids to bed about it because she heard them say, uh, like, greatest draft prospect ever. And she was like, better than guys like LeBron and Kobe. And it's like, uh, based off. Well, physical, certainly Kobe. Yeah. And based off physical attributes alone, like, yeah, like, kind of. I mean, he is unbelievably tall, unbelievably athletic, plays much different than his height dictates. So mm. it's Yeah, he's not a center. He's a power forward right now. Let's not yeah. kid ourselves. Yeah, it's it's like he has all the possible tools you could look for uh, in a potential prospect and you know, I'm very interested to see how he translates to the NBA and I think I think it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I am not overly concerned about how he's going to do in the NBA. I think uh, I think San Antonio is going to be just fine. Uh, obviously, they will have to play him. They will have to play him at center, but they have them four out of five of an interesting starting lineup right now with Vic at center, Jeremy Sohan at power forward, Keldon Johnson at the three, Devin Vassell at the two. It's a big starting lineup. And then uh, you know, that point guard spot, like to see him sign a veteran. Let's like to see him sign somebody that is actually competent because it, I mean, I don't, can this be a playoff team next year if they go out and get a point guard? I think it certainly can be. I mean, if what we saw from Soshan in year one can be improved upon, I mean, that's a guy who made, was it for either first or second team, all NBA rookie. So, I mean, he obviously has talent there. He was one of the Spurs better players in, in the year of, uh, I guess tanking, if that's what you want to call it. But, um, it's it is like they they definitely have building blocks and pieces to to build upon, and then you throw in Wembenyana, and it's like yeah, it, I mean if you see the Western Conference, it's rather top heavy, and you know to a team like LA who's playing in the conference finals, that game's starting in a few minutes. It's mm. you know they were almost out of the playoff race around the All Star break and made a couple had, of had a win had a win yeah. playing. Exactly. Made a couple roster moves, got themselves into the play-in, and here we are. Now they're competing for a championship, potentially, in with four wins. So, I mean, I think there's a real shot that they that they have they can make, at minimum, the play-in game. And you're correct. Sohan made the second-team All-Rookie this year, along with a pair of Houston Rockets and Jabari Smith Jr. and Tari Eason, and a pair of, Rocket, and a pair of Pistons, and Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran. The first team, Bancaro, Walker, Kessler, Benedict Matherin, Keegan Murray, and Jalen Williams. So can there's I, a lot, lot to work with. Yeah. Can I tell you, I'm so happy that the Rockets didn't win the, the number one pick. I don't know why I am. I just am. Me too. I, well, honestly, I think you should probably be upset about it. Well, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. You should, you, should, and you should probably be upset about it because I do think, and you know... I know. Other in other news in basketball, Doc Rivers was fired as head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers today. There's a lot of it just so happened that it came out the same day that the news broke that James Harden didn't want to play for Doc Rivers anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, so, coincidentally. May have gone to his uh, good buddy Daryl Morey and said, hey, it's him or me. It doesn't mean that it's a lock. That Harden resigns. There's a lot of smoke about the return to Houston, but I mean, I think that that likelihood would have greatly increased had they added Victor Wembanyama to the roster. 
See, and I almost don't know. I almost think that that is opposite. Like, I Why? understand wanting to pair him potentially with, with that type of talent. But there's also a part of, like, let's just start fresh. Why bring this guy who, it's very clear, <clears throat> does not have the gas tank or maybe care to play in the postseason. Why bring that around uh, someone of Wembenyana's level, potentially? I see what you're saying, but that would be the perfect team for an older James Harden to simply move into the Chris Paul mode and just be the point guard and just facilitate. Because if you have Jalen Green and you have Tari Eason and Jabari Smith and Wembenyana and Porter Jr. and Josh Christopher and et cetera, et cetera, you really just want Harden to show up and pass the ball. And that seems to be what Harden wants to do most nights. Uh, yeah, he wants to play that game, which is weird. Um, I mean, I get it, I guess. And you can't score anymore because all you do is look for fouls every time you drive to the basket. Um, and when they don't I get mean, called, he had forty in two of the games. This that's series, that's cool. But... There were seven games in the series, and they yeah, lost he scored four. forty in two of them. Okay, I, and he scored nine in Game Seven. I don't I, understand. I, I don't disagree that he was not good, but I think it's it's silly. And so, a wild overreaction to say that he can't score because he scored 40 in two different games. Now, he is a guy like he it's interesting that Philadelphia seems to be the home of the broken toys at the point guard position and specifically players with. I don't I don't want to call them psychological issues, but issues that affect them psychologically and Harden very much has been a guy this year who, if he doesn't start off hot, he doesn't look to score for the rest of the game. If you see him hit his first couple, you start to get that swagger a little bit. But much like we saw with uh, with Ben Simmons, much like we saw with Markel Fultz, there is, he's in his head way more than he should be for a guy who is one of the all-time greatest scorers in NBA history. Yeah, he definitely was. He definitely was one of those guys. Um, I, I, I get that he, in 28% of the games of the series, he, uh, he scored really well. It's the other 72% of the games that, that really matter. And like, to honestly, it's not just him. It, it's, I'm, I'm mad at everyone to be fair. So uh, taking it out on James Harden specifically is, is, is probably not the right way to go. Uh, yes, he obviously still can score, and you are correct. There is somewhat of an overreaction uh, to that. And but I, It was I, frustrating, though. I know where you're coming from. I, I do agree completely, though. It, it, if he doesn't start out making the first few shots, the, the game's entirely different for him for the remainder of the game, which was not the James Harden that we saw in Houston, not the James Harden that won oh, no. MVP. It was a – I mean, that's a guy who missed like 17 threes in a game before. Mm. So, yeah. and obviously, you know, scoring requirements and things like that, you know, team position on the team, that kind of thing. He's not always required to do that in terms of the Sixers because they have Embiid um, and, and that sort of thing. But it just like baffling, baffling and perplexing watching every minute of, the, of that last game. I don't understand it. Um, and it feels like a guy that we're as a fan base – uh, going to get blamed for running out of town when he goes and performs elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, look, it's been frustrating. The guy has seen a dip in his scoring for a while now, but comparing this season, he played 58 games. He averaged 21 points, 
and he shot 38.5% per, uh, from three. In the postseason, he scored 20.3 points and shot 37.8% from three. The, the free throw percentage numbers are almost identical. The rebound numbers are almost identical. The steal numbers, he actually was 1.8 to 1.2 in favor of the postseason. Turned the ball over less in the postseason. He did objectively did not have a poor postseason, but what he did have was an extraordinarily inconsistent postseason. I could agree with that. A definite, definite inconsistencies. I, I, it's you can't take away the forty point games. That's most assuredly correct. But the inconsistencies are the things that are going on, that have haunted this team, this franchise. If we're being fair, for the past six to eight seasons that we've been in the playoffs, I guess six, but whatever. Yeah, and now it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, we'll we'll turn back to the, all of this, the Doc Rivers news in in a minute, just to put a bow on the NBA draft stuff. The Hornets moving up to two is very interesting because that clear cut second best player is Scoot Henderson, who is a uncomfortable fit with Lamelo Ball. Though I think when you're a team that bad, you kind of have to take the best player and figure it out. Um. The thing that makes the most sense to me, my immediate reaction would be Houston should give up some assets and flip from two to four with Charlotte. That really probably doesn't affect Charlotte all that much. Uh, Houston moves up and takes Henderson. Three is going to be a trade regardless. Portland's going to trade that pick to try and get somebody to pair with Dame. That, you know, and then Houston or uh, then Charlotte is left with either Brandon Miller, Amen Thompson, Jarris Walker, or Asor Thompson at, at four. So it seems like it makes sense for three of those four picks to be traded in that top four. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you're right, to be perfectly honest. Um, I am kind of bummed. Like I, I, I San Antonio getting Wimbanyana is fine. That's that's great. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't I don't I'm not that worried about that. But I am a tad bummed uh, that he didn't end up in Portland. Not that I think, like, whatever. I lived in Oregon for a couple of years, and I met a lot of Blazers fans, and not really for them, um, but more for the fact that I would have loved to see uh, Dame with a legitimate, like, big man. or I guess he's not a big man because he doesn't play center, but a front court threat versus consistently being paired with other guards. I think that would have been very interesting. And other undersized guards at that. Yeah. In what in both situations, his previous and current Dame is taller than the his backcourt mate. First CJ and now Anthony Simons. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's interesting. Uh, look, for me, it was Oklahoma City. That was the dream. I would have liked to have seen New Orleans just because that's interesting. I don't think there was any scenario in the world. I don't... If the if the lottery would have broken so that Dallas got the number one pick, I just think that they would have burned everything and restarted it. Like I don't <laughs> I, I don't see how they were going to allow Dallas to get the number one pick after the, how the season ended with them. <laughs> just completely set it back up. Oh yeah, no, we're going to do this again. Uh, <laughs> Indiana was terrifying for me. Orlando was or, Orlando was probably the worst case oh, scenario. Thousand percent. So I'm okay with how that ended up. And honestly, Orlando should probably be okay with how that ended up with where everything fell because the last thing they need is another guard in, on that lineup. And so Amen Thompson and uh, and Scoot should be off the board. They can 
either take a Sewer Thompson or they take Cam Whitmore, who measured out surprisingly okay, better than I thought he was going to at the Combine. I Cam Whitmore's always been listed as 6'7". He looked awfully 6'4 to me at Villanova this year, but measured 6'5 without shoes, so that'll get him 6'7 in the NBA with shoes. That's what we thought, or at least what was listed. Um, yeah, just kind, of, just kind of boring. It wasn't, you know, I feel like it was the congratulations for being a, one of the greatest coaches of all time, Greg Popovich. Please don't leave. Here's uh, here's Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, yeah. Hang around for another five years, and we'll we'll go from there. I was uh, I was looking at the and and by the way, uh, Bavada doesn't have NBA draft odds up just yet. I was looking for all that. I can only imagine what the number was going to be. For Wembenyana, number one, it's, I mean, it's free money, but it's probably going to be like minus 15,000 or something like that. I mean, I can't, I can't think I, that, that almost even seems low. I I wanted to go to 20, but it just, that's such an astronomically high number for something that is not technically set in stone. Accurate. Very accurate. Um, I was looking like I was looking at the Tankathon mock after after the lottery. And the thing that struck me is like the one guy who is just he's gotta be so angry that it is nineteen nineteen ninety three that it is two thousand twenty three and not nineteen ninety three is Zach Eady. Zach Eady yeah, dude. Twenty two point three points per game this year, twelve point nine rebounds. Uh, and and a bunch of block shots. He averaged uh, 2.1 blocks. He measured 6.3.5, I believe, without shoes, and he had a 7.10.5 standing reach. Like, this would this is Rick Smith's. This is who he is. Yep. And if this, was, if this was three decades ago, he would be the number four pick in the draft, and he would be the guy who uh, is highlighted pregame for every single game that his team plays. He's the guy they're interviewing in their house at the draft lottery. For sure. And now Tankathon does not have him being drafted. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, but that's the NBA now, man. It's not about any of those measurables or any of that. Like, none of it matters. It's it's a completely different, uh, nearly positionless game. The th- for sure. The thing I will say in his benefit is Purdue simply didn't let him shoot the ball at all outside of outside of the lane. He's a 70.2% free throw shooter for his uh, his career at Purdue. That does give me some hope that he may eventually be able to figure out how to, to shoot a wide open three. Uh, I'm looking. I don't know where. he. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, Zach Eady, his projected NBA three-point percentage. Uh, again, on Tankathon. Shout out to my guy, Matt Hoover is 32%. Like that is, that's very, that, that's way higher than I thought it was going to be. First of all, me too. But, like that is respectable. He's, he shot 73% this year on seven attempts a game from the line. Yeah. I mean, that's that, for a guy, his size, you, you don't normally expect that. So it's good to see for sure. Oh man. Uh, would, would you, t- uh, I guess we don't. I guess the Sixers don't have a, a selection this year. But like, would you be would you be good with Edie on the summer league squad? Why not? Why not give it a try? I mean, obviously, you know, <clears throat> we're mired in a situation where our best player is a center in a league that doesn't rely on them anymore. 
So it it's interesting, but I'd at least watch him play, give him some run. Because even if he could potentially be a guy that spells Embiid in situations, like if he can produce and be out there and actually – like. Paul. Exactly. Well, I don't. Again, B-ball Paul. I don't know if he's given enough of a chance from Doc. So, well, it doesn't matter. Well, that exactly. That's that's a whole other story. But I, you know, we're all as a franchise with Embiid being your best player, you have to have depth behind him, and it's something we never have. So, you know, and the moves that we make are guys that end up sitting on the bench for a majority of the playoffs because they're unplayable. So. I don't, I don't really know what to do, so why not give it a run? By the way, as we speak, Denver leads 26-14, and uh, the Lakers find themselves live game odds plus 550 money line at Bavada. I don't hate that. I don't either. That's that's not bad at all. For Don't hate that. Uh, I, I, the, yeah. the Lakers have been a team in the postseason where they have fallen behind early and been able to kind of turn that around. So very interesting to, to say the least. There are no, there are no odds up at Bavada yet for the coaching stuff. I, I checked that out earlier. <sighs> I mentioned it. We talked about it. Doc got fired. It happened. It finally happened. He's gone. Where do you go from here? Because you were quite negative about the list. <laughs> that the 76ers seem to be interested in. I think I simply called him a retread. You called uh, every you called them all retreads. Oh, they are. They're all former Sam NBA Cassell coaches. Is not a Sam Cassell has not been a head coach in the NBA. You are correct. Sam Cassell is not a head coach in the NBA and has never been a head coach in the NBA. So that is you are not you're not wrong there. That is on me. Um I mean my biggest thing is uh I think I think you need somebody to come in and obviously we're going to have somebody come in and take a fresh look at this. And I just, I, when I hear some of the names, like, like, don't get me wrong. I know Budenholzer won a title, but no interest in Budenholzer. even, even his fans, when the year he won the title, people were like, we, we would like him to go. So <laughs> like I, that, I, that's a guy I don't want. I, I really want no parts of, I saw Mike D'Antoni on a list, please, dear God, I'm, I don't, I'll, I'll, I, I will stop watching. I, I will stop watching. That, that team will be fun to watch play, if nothing else. Well, that yeah, that's fine. But again, it's a guy that's never won anything. That's why at least the points that you made about the guys that you like, they're, they're guys who have coached at least winning teams. So uh, Yeah, I, those guys specifically being uh, Nick Nurse and Frank Vogel. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I'm perfectly fine. Uh, I'm perfectly fine with that if, if we're able to – to do either of those, I'd at least give it at least I'd at least give it a try. Nurse has won, or at least been extremely successful on multiple levels in terms of NBA basketball. I think he wasn't either G League coach prior to being the head coach there. He was um, and was successful there, so like that's fine. Um, I think he was fired more in like a change of voice in the locker room versus inconsistent production, etc. Uh, I mean, obviously you win a title and then your best player leaves for the Clippers. That's a tough one to, to overcome. And he still had the, the Raptors in the playoff mix every single year. So I don't know. I, I I'm, I'm still in, I'm still in like processing mode of how the season ended two bump. days later. Um, and I haven't really turned my, and now that it's actually real, that doc's no longer the head coach. I I'm trying to figure it out from here. 
I think I think everybody's trying to figure it out from here. And it's just like I said, there there are a lot of shoes left to drop here. We don't know what's going to happen with James Harden because that's going to dictate basically everything else. If Harden leaves, you know, I I don't I don't see Embiid as being a guy who's going to ask to be traded at this point, and I don't see the team being inclined to trade the MVP if he doesn't want to leave. But it's going to be tough to put a competitive roster around him with the financial constraints they have. You know, they're going to... Man. So at that point, the starting lineup without Harden, you would assume Maxi and Melton are the backcourt, so there's no point guard. Uh, Milton or um, Tucker and Harris are the the front court, so that's two power forwards, two undersized guards, and two power forwards, and then Joel Embiid. the um, The move that everyone expects is for Daryl Morey to look to move Tobias Harris and his thirty eight million dollar expiring contract this off season. A lot of value in that, especially to you know to uh, rebuilding teams. It's going to be tough, man. It's And I'd really... I'll tell you what. If Harden is gone, I hope to God we sign an actual backup point guard because otherwise there is not a single real point guard on the roster. Furkan can handle the rock. Furkan can handle the rock. Yeah, we keep hearing about how he played point guard for Turkey in the Olympics. But uh, yeah, no, he'll be also be playing for like Olympiacos or somebody like that next year, not an NBA organization. Ah, come on. We'll do that thing where we like, ah, we're good. You're, you see you buddy. And then we sign him back at like, Oh the last no, minute. he has to be traded. He's, he is persona non grata in Philadelphia. at this at this point. They, he, he wasn't even getting all, get off, uh, getting off the bench in blowouts. Pop the cork, baby. Pop the cork, the process. Ugh. God, so there's a <laughs> lot of a uh, lot of things going on. I right mean, now is what I'm saying. Listen, if like, I think the Tobias thing is interesting. If you do end up moving him, I don't know what you're going to get back for him. He's obviously a, a very good contributing NBA player. He's not a number one. He's not a number two. So, like, what what is his return? Like, that's his the his, only his value is a thirty nine million dollar expiring contract. Yeah, exactly. So what and, are you and get a grown up in the locker room. That's true. I will give him that. So I, uh, you know, I can see, you know, a team like Detroit, a team like Charlotte, those kinds of those kinds of teams potentially interested. Honestly, he's not a bad fit in Portland. I don't think that that salary can work. Uh, should they strike out in? Obviously, they would not trade the number three pick in the draft for him. Oh, Dame, sure Dame for Tobias straight up. Who says no? I don't, I just I don't know what the return there is um, because I don't think you can. I don't think you. You're certainly you're, you're not getting and can't use Anthony Simons. Uh, maybe they love Shaden Sharp. I don't think I would trade Shaden Sharp for for Tobias. I don't. I don't know if it makes sense. I think you're probably going to have to. Fu- hope that you're getting a couple of role players who aren't on bad contracts that fit better than this current group does. It's just the PJ Tucker thing is mind boggling, at least with a new coach coming in, maybe you'll have the common sense to not start PJ Tucker because that just, 
that screws Tobias as much as anything else, because all of a sudden then Tobias becomes a three. He can't guard the three. He's an awkward fit at the three offensively. So you're just waiting until the first sub is made that he can go back to the four. Let him let him play the four, bring in a bigger three you can actually defend and potentially shoot the ball a little bit. And the starting lineup's already better, even if you bring you're just bringing everybody back. I I know who we can bring back. I know or not bring back. I know who we can bring in. Is Ben Simmons available? No, no, he's drinking wine to sending out Instagram stories clowning the Sixers, which is hilarious. Yeah, which is hilarious, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, listen, I've said a lot of things about Ben Simmons. That was funny. That was actually legitimately funny as a Sixers fan. I think, I think like, the guy – the guy didn't play most of the year for the Nets, and he's clowning the Sixers. Like well, he, he averaged six points a game. Oh, well, hey, listen, <laughs> former All Star. Um, uh, I mean, listen, who is the guy? Oh, the guy I'm thinking of. There's yeah. a gentleman. He had a couple DMPs in the postseason, but let's full circle the process, baby. Robert Covington back to start at that three. Let Tobias play the four. Okay, now, Covington's also a three at this point. He's also a four at this point. So I'm, I know you're just joking anyway, but that doesn't work great. God damn it, Chris. Then I have no idea. We're screwed. If we can't even bring Bob Covington back, then I don't know what to like, do. If if you just – I don't understand. that. I think they should have – the team was better if they just let Thibault play the three because at least he plays defense at the three. That's and that's more than you were getting with this hodgepodge starting lineup. I'm looking at the free agents. Man. It's not a good class. No, and it, it, it's also not. It, it's certainly not a good class for those guys who like you're just looking for who's going to take a vet deal. Who can you get for the MLE? Uh, how much do you want Michael Carter Williams back? Um, man, that's Herb, rookie yeah, of the Herb year, Williams Michael Carter fun. Williams, to you, pal. Uh, oh, I know. I once sold him a. Well, I sold his buddy Nerlens a copy of Grand Theft Auto without the game in there. Um, oh my God, it's it is legitimately. It is not encouraging. This no, list right now. It's not. It's not encouraging at all. It's actually very scary. Um, if you're thinking like, about trying to improve this team via the free agent market, the frustrating thing to me, like the guy to go out and get. And I don't just say this as a homer because then you would have been able to use bird rights to resign him was Josh Hart. Josh yeah. Hart makes so much sense in Philly. He has ever since he was at Villanova and we took Andres Pachesnik. We don't have a good track record with Villanova players. Oh my God. To be fair. Well, Tim Thomas is not the Sixers Hall of Fame, right? <laughs> He's not, unfortunately. That's not the one I was even talking about. You know who I was talking about, Chris. I'll never stop talking about it. But regardless, I think that there, there, there's also the glaring point that Embiid's just not a playoff player. Like, that is it's, – it's very obvious to me. Like, Well, I think the bigger issue is that there's – there is, uh, there are health issues that consistently cause problems for Embiid in the playoffs. He hasn't shown the durability to get there, but he did. You know, he averaged twenty three point seven, nine point eight, and and incredible while playing incredible defense. He was very good defensively, really giving the effort. The issue playing on that that LCL injury that should have been a six week injury, and instead it was a five day injury. When you're 
Yes, toughness personified in the case of a of someone who can legitimately never not go into the playoffs or in the playoffs suffer some sort of bizarre injury. Yeah. Um I just it's like snake bitten. That's kind of what it feels like. And I, yeah, I, I I feel bad for him in a certain way. Like I don't know it it's these types of things that continue to happen. And to be fair, I think we all knew that they were never going to beat the Celtics and then they dragged yeah. us in to to hope which makes it hurt a, a lot more like legitimate hope that they that this this time actually was different that it it was not um but mm-hmm. th- that I think is the part where it's like I, I don't I don't know how you get Sixers fans to buy in again next year I don't I don't think you can have anywhere near the same legitimate group of people that truly think whatever you put on the court, regardless of who it is, whether it's Harden and Embiid, whether it's Embiid, Harris, and whatever other grouping of people with Maxi in there, yeah. I don't know how you can get this fan base to buy in on the whole um, to go through this again. I do think there's recency bias as well that goes into these people, who, and including you, who were saying that Joel was terrible in the playoffs because – I mean, you look at the four games and and look, like the numbers, the some of the percentages were not great. But you look at the four games prior to that, starting in game two, because that like game one, let's you know, let, let's give the guy what it was. He played twenty seven minutes, first game back off of a major injury where he probably should have sat out another five weeks. Uh, thirty points, thirteen rebounds, three assists, and four blocks. 34 points, 13 rebounds, 4 assists. 33.7 rebounds, 3 assists, 4 blocks. 26 points, 10 rebounds, 3 blocks. Those are outstanding numbers. Didn't shoot well from 3. That was probably the biggest issue. He shot very poorly from 3 this whole postseason. And the percentages in general were down. But a lot of this comes up to, in that game 6... Joe Missoula adjusted and Doc Rivers did not. He went to that two big starting lineup. He built that wall around Embiid every single time he touched the ball and the Sixers did nothing. And Doc Rivers did nothing differently. They just hoped that Joel was good enough to somehow score over three people. One thing that uh, I went back and looked at was uh, text messages from draft night. The year Robert Williams was drafted. And something we both agreed upon yeah. was as soon as he was taken by the Celtics, there was expletives and disappointment. Yeah. Um, I didn't think it would lead to all of this and this being the thing, but it certainly certainly was something that we both agreed upon uh, at the time where it was like, God, God damn it. Like, yeah, I, I think I think. Simply, I said, fuck. Yes. Yeah, no, that's pretty much exactly where we were at with it. Um, it, it was, and you're right, the the playoffs are about adjusting game to game, and Doc never did. And honestly, the series came down to two possessions in the third, or in the fourth quarter with four minutes left, up by two. And the two play, we got two stops in a row, up by two, and it was a step back three from Maxi late in the shot clock that was sort of haphazard. And then the next possession was a step back three from Harden, who was 
not shooting well. And then the next possession down, the Jason Tatum show started for the next four quarters and five, four minutes like that. That's essentially what, what happened that, that sequence of plays eventually was the end of the series, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. No, it was, uh, it's not great. We run an offense ever that isn't just step back three from Harden or maybe a pick and roll. Well, like actually, I saw I saw some interesting stats in that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. I, I saw an interesting stats in that the the uh, percentage of cuts in terms of all NBA teams under Doc Rivers versus Brett Brown under Brett Brown in this three years they averaged uh, between the number two and three spot in the NBA between and in the Doc Rivers years they were twenty nine or thirty. It is an offense where you get one guy, uh, you play pick and roll. And the other three guys stand around and watch it. It's just, it's, it's not like, and I know that's the offense that Harden played a lot of in his years in Houston. Well, it's not, it's not a Mike D'Antoni offense for the record. Well, that's, that's definitely true. But the, a lot of that ISO ball and step back threes and all that fun stuff, the step back three, that's clearly a walk every time, but for some reason isn't a walk. Gather step, Greg, you're that's an official. Not- I was, um, uh, but yes, no, like it's, it's, it's insanity, dude. It's insanity watching it over and over again. And you just, you hope for something to change if it ever will, uh, hopefully a new coach and a new voice and getting, getting, if Harden's back, which listen, I know people are down on Harden. I'm down on Harden currently. That's the thing. Yeah. If he is back, like, it's fine. He's the guy led the league in assists this season. Let's not mm-hmm. overreact to what he can actually contribute to on the actual court. I've somehow turned this entire view around in in forty <laughs> minutes on the podcast. Um, let's not completely overreact to him coming back. I'd be interested to see what the contract would look like um, and how long it's going to go. But it, it's like there just has to be a better offense put in there that isn't just settling for a step back three in the most important possession of the season. Go to the basket, get fouled, make them call it. For sure. By the way, Lakers now down 10 and that plus 550 at Pavada has dropped to plus 425. Uh, Yes, sir. Well, and now it's just been taken off the board for some reason. I guess they're probably updating the odds. Uh, live what? odds, live odds taken off the board. As as we talked about it originally, I had to, to jump in there and scoop that up because that's too uh, too too juicy of. of Did you get it this early? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You took the plus five fifty. One hundred percent. And then also they were at that exact moment uh, when I looked at it, it was plus thirteen and a half as well. It's still plus thirteen and a half. That seems like a lot to me for a playoff game. Yeah, no, plus this 13 and a half, minus 145 at Pavada in these live odds. If that feels like an absolute lock for the Lakers, I would not be shocked if they won this game. It does yeah. seem like it's going to be an under that 226, though. That Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. It's getting a little physical, which is interesting. And I think that may be why they've, they've pulled it right now, because they're in the middle of an official review. I also don't understand what a flagrant foul is. I don't know yeah. how you can commit a flagrant foul while you're going to the basket. That... That seems that uh, that seems wildly inconsistent and weird. 
Like I, I understand player safety and I get all that fun stuff, but I mean, dude, a flagrant foul needs to be something that is legitimately intentional or legitimately over the top egregious. Not, I lost the ball in midair and flailed my arm out and that guy's face was there. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like hockey where it, it, like a guy, this is exactly what it is in hockey. You have high sticking, right? If it guy gets hit in the face with a stick awkwardly, obviously that's a high stick, but on the follow through of a shot. So conceivably uh, you're standing in front of me on your skates. I take a slap shot. My stick follows through. It catches you in the face. It's a no call because it's a continuation of the stick in a normal shooting motion. Mm-hmm. That is a continuation of a normal shooting action. Losing the ball and flailing your arms out is something that happens 7 billion times in a game. That The fact that that is a, a flagrant foul call in today's NBA, it, that's insanity. That's insanity to me. And I, don't I, care, I don't care if it's the Sixers. If it's anybody, I think that's dumb. I agree it was a bizarre call, and what's odder than that is that it was game six where the officiating was really terrible. I'm sure you saw all these statistics. Oh, boy, did I. After the game where there were 14 unfavorable calls to the set towards the 76ers versus six towards the Celtics, and that was at home, game six, in the really what was the last opportunity to win that series. Oh, there was a 0.0% chance they were winning on Sunday. That that right. I like I I don't care how big of a Sixers fan you are. I don't care uh whether you uh put monetary, you know, dollars down on the money line for the Sixers in hopes that maybe just maybe once they'd show up. There mm-hmm. was never never an opportunity that they were going to win that game. Now that I think they'd lose by almost 30? No. But whew, man, that was that was tough. It was it was just heartbreaking to watch. It was soul crushing. I I told you, you know, because I had to I had to start it a little bit later. I the game was a three thirty Eastern time start. I started it around seven seven fifteen. Watched up until about three minutes left in the third quarter, where I just started kind of like fast forwarding. Got to one spot in the fourth quarter where the score was basically the same, and I just. That was my uh, that was the the season for the 76ers in my mind. Well, to hear the radio broadcast, because I told you we were at a party and we left at halftime and we we're racing home to make sure we got home in time for a minimum the fourth quarter. Yeah. And listening to the radio broadcast, they just the Celtics just came out in the second half, just kept scoring and we couldn't do anything. Uh, the Tom McGinnis, the radio broadcast guy for the Sixers was like, he's like, I don't. I don't know. They can't. He's like they can't even get the ball over half court without just turning it over, like dropping it. Like it's, it was, it was terrible. And that's when the game got completely out of hand, and then it was over. I mean, he called the game over with like six minutes left in the third quarter. He said it out loud on the radio. This yeah, is game I mean, seven. Was not wrong. No, he was dead. He was dead on accurate. Well, and and I could tell you exactly when that moment was watching it too, because it was just Boston hit a bunch of threes in rapid succession. Sixers made a couple of mistakes and you knew it was done. One day, Chris, one day we'll, we'll have something happy to talk about when it comes to the Sixers. I don't know when that day is, but one day. Look, here's the positive is that they didn't save us. Uh, They did, pardon me, save us the trouble of losing in the championship, like unlike the Eagles and unlike the Phillies. That is correct. I mean, to be fair, I would have bet the heat to win the series against the Sixers, but 
that's neither here nor there. Um, it's just, it's insane. It's Tobias insane. Harris over me. Tobias I, Harris over me. I mean, listen, that, that guy, say what you want about Jimmy Butler. If you think whatever he does is methodology to, to things or is over the top, uh, the whole Timberwolves practice thing where he beat the starters with the third string guys. Oh, I love Jimmy Butler. I got yeah. nothing bad to say. No, I, yeah, I understand that, and I don't either. I just think some people, some people don't enjoy some of the antics. That's where we went wrong. That's the guy you were supposed to keep, and we we were incorrect, severely well, what really, incorrect. What it really was was Brett Brown over me. It wasn't really so much about Tobias Harris. It wasn't so much about anyone else. He hated he hated Brett Brown, and he hated Ben Simmons. Now, oh, correct on both accounts. Look at that. Oh, look, I, I don't think Brett Brown's as bad a coach as, as, as people, other people do. But I, yeah, the Ben Simmons thing, I mean, Jimmy Butler's a guy who is going to, he's going to smell the coward in Ben Simmons. He's going to identify that real quickly. I think he identified that real quickly. He and Embiid loved each other. Him and JJ loved each other. There were, there was a lot of mutual love on that team. It's just that the other guy was Ben Simmons. And I've said it before, but like in, if you in the look back world, the move you make is to trade Ben Simmons after his rookie of the year season. <laughs> if only did it to Michael Carter Williams. Hinky wasn't there to pull the strings during the Ben Simmons era. I, that I that is isn't even a Sam Hinky trade. That is a just look. I'm gonna lose Jimmy Butler if we keep Ben Simmons. What can you get? That that return would have been astronomical for Simmons at that point. Yeah, yeah, it would have. And unlike uh, unlike everyone else, you know, we're talking about playoff Jimmy here, man. Play, Jimmy goes from I think his scoring average raised nine points in the playoffs from the regular season. The guy is just unbelievable. He just knows how to turn it on, and when the games become more impactful and more meaningful, he's there for it, a hundred percent. You know what's crazy? J.J. Redick is doing head coaching interviews. Yeah, I mean, he was in that first round of head coaching interviews. I don't, I don't, I don't see J.J. getting that job. I don't either, but it's just crazy. Like, I don't, is it, is it, because he's not really even a guy that had insane winning prowess as he's, a player. He's a very smart guy, and he's a very, like, I think he would be a good leader of men. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. I just it it was when that came across the update line I was I was like JJ Reddick it, it the guy on first take fighting with Stephen A Smith that guy I don't know uh, if if oh, like I think we all talked about how ridiculous the Steve Nash thing was I think JJ would be a better version of that because he's more outgoing and more more willing to get in people's face and hold people accountable than the the Uber uh, passive Steve Nash was, but no, he shouldn't. He should not be a head coach in the NBA. That's ridiculous. If you want, like, okay, go be somebody's assistant for a year, two years, whatever, then get to that spot. But yeah, I, I think I think Steve Nash ruined that that path for people for a little bit. Well, I also think that Steve Nash was put in an unbelievably impossible situation. Oh, right? of course he was. Like, I mean. He's thrown into a situation where it's it's Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and then it's not Kyrie Irving for most of the time there. And James. And then James Harden. Yeah. So, like, 
I don't know. I think I think that had he had the full complement of guys the entire time, we're talking about a much different different scenario potentially with that. But what was it they played thirty one games together over like a season and a half? Yeah, yeah. So I, I I think that that I think that that plays a much larger role uh, than anything, if we're being perfectly honest. But you know, I I think you are right that Steve Nash's career. Uh, uh, career path to coaching uh, may have put a kibosh on teams taking that kind of risk moving forward. Where are you on this, this heat Celtic series? Bavada has the heat eight point underdogs game one. What do you think? I think that's probably good. I think, I think the way that the Celtics went out and, you know, decimated the Sixers in game seven and, and yeah. the way that they were resilient in game six after losing game five was, it showed a lot about that team. They're clearly a team that's full of a bunch of guys that just lost in the NBA finals the year prior. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're hungry to get back there again to try to actually win the championship this year. Who have all I, substantially improved this year. Yeah, for sure. I, I also think that they just, they're a deeper team. If Considering I don't think Hero's going to be back just yet. Um, I, I think that, I think that that heat team, isn't they're deep don't get me wrong obviously but i just think that the celtics they've kind of figured out the rotation that they need to use and if they get any contribution offensively from al horford it makes them even scarier so fuck that guy uh, yeah well hey listen i'm 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 right there with you buddy um but it's you know I, i i think that for game one that that seems pretty accurate series price at bavada heat plus 375 Playoff Jimmy is a thing, and Spolster is a very, very good coach. So, like, I know there was the – I think it was the guy, I maybe from the ringer, after game five of the Sixers series who said that the the he, or the uh, the Celtics losing Ime Udoka and uh, whoever the other guy was. I can't think of his name off the Brad top Stevens? of my head. No, there was another guy who took another job somewhere. He was an assistant coach. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're 100% right. And it was uh, Utah? I think so. Saying that he, they, they, they would never recover, or they may never recover from this. Uh, and then them proceeding to, because saying, he said, essentially he was saying that Joe Missoula isn't ready for this spotlight, et cetera. Turns out, news flash, he was. Uh, but, much different story coaching against a guy like Spolscher, who's been an unbelievably top tier like coach for several years. Obviously, you know, it, it was hard to judge how good of a coach he was in the LeBron Bosch Wade era, but um, it's very obvious that since then, this guy knows how to coach basketball and coach it very well. He is a guy that will adjust in situations where he has to. He's a guy that will make the adjustment first if he needs to, to try and give his team the best position to win. So uh, plus 375, that's that's something that you could certainly look at and be like, I I could see that potentially being fruitful. So um, This is driving me nuts. Who the, remembering who this who we're talking about here? I'll be able to find it. I gotta look at his his. Tweet. They also lost Micah Shrewsbury to Penn State, yeah, but that and... was that was four years ago. Uh, Will Hardy's, I think. Will Hardy, uh, yes, that is it. Will Hardy, yeah, was uh, was a Richmond, Virginia guy, and he was a Boston Celtics assistant coach, twenty one to twenty twenty two. Yeah, Will Hardy's a great coach. Yeah, so 
I mean, I think I think that that plays a, a, a you know, it's such a ridiculous tweet to send if we're being honest. Uh, when the series wasn't over, so you know, hey, um, but I, I'm very, very, very interested to see this series in general because it it really depends on, you know, obviously Jimmy Butler being Jimmy Butler, but yeah, Bam Adebayo in the front court seeing how well he's able to deal with the amount of size that Boston can throw at him on a regular basis. Well, you also um, wonder if this allows Boston to go play a little bit smaller and go back to, to JT at the four, because it really is just Adebayo. And for as good as Adebayo is, he's probably six, eight. Yeah. I don't know. It should be a fun series. Honestly, I think they're both fun series. I, I think as dominant as the Nuggets were against the Suns, I think the Suns are a rather dysfunctional team. Like, in terms of like DeAndre Ayton, just like d- hates everybody. I think, and yeah, probably he does. for good he reasons. Does, he does not want to be there at all. Yeah. So like that that certainly doesn't help. Like in the Suns' favor, I think obviously they're still trying to me- we're still trying to mesh with Kevin Durant. Um, losing Chris Paul for whatever that's worth didn't help either. So like, it's hard to gauge what that Suns team was actually, what they actually had um, in the last half of the season. Cause again, Durant missed a majority, a lot of time with them as well. So like there's, there's that. Um, And the Lakers have just been sort of phenomenal. Like they handled golden state, not with ease, but kind of, and they had a very big size mismatch in, in that. And now it's the NBA's worst road team. Yeah. And then now it's size on size. It's, you know, you have Davis versus Jokic essentially. And then you have LeBron versus who? Uh, oh my God. Jamal Murray slash Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, Porter Jr. I, I would, I would guess they're putting him on Porter Jr. Cause they, that'll save LeBron a little bit. MPJ just wants to sit in the corner and knock down a ridiculous percentage from three. If only Chris, if only. Another guy would have been would have been fun, but Zaire Smith is playing pretty well for for the Sixers this year. Bavada currently has the Celtics favorite to win uh, the NBA championship, followed by the Nuggets at plus one eighty. Where are you going with that? I don't. I I want nobody but I want everyone but the Celtics to win. I would take all four other teams, or sorry, all three other teams than the Celtics. I think the Nuggets probably have a decent opportunity, but I also think that there's a very good chance that the Lakers end up in that final. Um, and one last run for LeBron would be very fun. Uh, so I, I, I'd, I'd spray, maybe sprinkle the Lakers in that situation. Well, next year's draft lottery is going to be really fun because it's also the LeBron James draft lottery. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, I don't think we've I, talked. Have we, yeah, I guess we talked about Bronny and USC. And look, Bronny, Bronny has turned himself into a, a, good, a good prospect. He is, he is not as overrated as he once was. The issue is like, his upside right now, assuming he doesn't grow more or or develop a better shot, he reminds me a lot of DeAnthony Melton. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good NBA player and a guy who deserves to be in the league. But he is not like, it's not Dwayne Wade. Well, no, of course. And the issue is always going to be the comparison's going to be to your dad. Like, that's just... It's going. It, that's what it's going to be. We're fair or unfair, people are. Uh, most people are are dumb like that. You know what I mean? Like they're going to be like, 
well, he's not LeBron. And it's like, of course, there's there's one LeBron. There's one LeBron. There's one Jordan. There's one Kobe. There's one Wilt. There's one Kareem. Like those guys don't. They're they're unicorns. In you the didn't league. mention that Jordan fella. I did. I said Jordan. Oh, I didn't hear. <laughs> Please, how, I, that's that's number one. Um, but there are no there Is are no Jordan's your number one of all time. I think he has to be. I I just. Yeah. I, I think I think you can make arguments for I think you can make arguments for guys like Russell and guys like Kareem. I don't get Russell. Uh, I I understand that's based on winning, but I just don't think he was good enough offensively to be considered the greatest player ever. I think I think there's a Kareem argument. I think there's a very good Wilt argument. I think there's a LeBron argument. I think that's where the arguments end. I think I think the reason why I throw Russell in the mix is because it is the mix of winning and and those type of accomplishments along with personal success, right? Like it, it, the 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 counting numbers may not be there, but there is one big counting number that's 11 championships. That's kind of tough to beat. Um the not guy, the championships or everything, but never he's 15 points for his career, never scored 20 points a game. Never averaged twenty points a game. That's tough. That's tough. I will give you that. Now he did average twenty-two and a half rebounds a game, so that is decent. He's, he's uh, got that going for him. Got that going for him. Won a couple of titles. Was a twelve-time All Star. Only eleven-time NBA champion. But I, I can't call a guy who averaged fifteen points the greatest player in NBA history. I just there's no. I don't get. There's no argument for me there. The longevity of LeBron, I think, is one of the things that's the most impressive. And I know Kareem for sure. played for a very long time as well. Um, but the longevity of, of LeBron and the consistency, like from year one now into year, whatever, 20, I guess this is, it's 19 mm-hmm. or 20. Um, yeah, because it'll be 20 years since he was drafted. So I guess this is year 19. Like the consistency of, of LeBron is one of the most impressive things that, that's out there. Like that, sure. the ability to, to knock on wood, stay as healthy as he has um, for the most part, always being in the playoffs and for the most part, deep runs, except for, you know, last year with the Lakers. Um, it's, it's just, it's incredible. And I don't think people give him enough credit for that, which is crazy to say, considering, you know he's LeBron James, but I think there's a lot of haters out there. And as a as a staunch Jordan guy, um, I I still think that he's it, it it's like just what you you watch. Maybe I'm just getting old. Like mm. you're watching sort of history as you go in the making with with LeBron, and I think people take it for granted, especially for sure. in today's you know, social media age where you can get a hot take off every five seconds if you really want to about players and that kind of for thing. Sure. For uh, for Russell, career high, do you think he has a higher career high in points or rebounds? Rebounds. What do you think it is? It's probably like 38. His career high in points is 37. Career high in rebounds 51. Uh, I was going to guess after that, like 57 or something goofy like that. That's 51 rebounds in a game is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, we are talking about a different era and like people talk about how, how Wilt benefited from playing again, from being a boy in, uh, in, uh, I mean, a man in a boy's league, but 
I mean, Russell had those exact same things and, and Wilt averaged 30.1 for his career to go along with 22.9 rebounds. I, the errors thing, like, listen, those guys can't like, especially in Wilt's case and, and Russell's case, like those guys, they didn't dictate who they played against. Like that's can't not their help fault. When, you, when you played. Yeah, exactly. So like, that's, that's kind of BS. If you're the most dominant players, of that era, you were the most dominant players of that era. That's just the way it works. Right. You know Russell, what I mean? Russell's rookie year, 56. Wilt, 59. Averaged 37.6 points and 27 rebounds as a rookie that year. It's a, it's a heck of a run. Holy shit. It's a heck shit. of a run. In, in 1961-1962, Wilt averaged 48.5 minutes per game. Um... <laughs> uh, yeah wow that's, that's to go uh, by the way to go along with 50.4 points and 25.7 rebounds i mean that's incredible that's <laughs> it's an incredible number we know the career high was 100 points career high 55 rebounds career high 21 assists 55 rebounds is so many rebounds yeah, it's, well, and 100 points is a lot of points. I I like my my favorite Wilt story and the reason that I think he's the best player of all time. And by the way, I think he would be even better if he came along today and had modern nutrition, strength training, and skill development. By the like, what he would be is crazy. Um, my favorite thing about Wilt is that he got he got bored and mad of people calling him a ball hog. So he came out in that 1967-68 season and led the NBA in assists. <laughs> the the talent to be able to do that is is incredible. Yeah. And we, you talk about 55 rebounds. It's not not in today's era where there's 40 plus three pointers getting chucked up in in games by teams. Uh, you know, 60 combined threes from two teams. You talk about a bad night shooting for both teams. That's a ton of potential rebounds from there. I mean, th- most of these are set shot layups, like, you know, yeah. th- those kind of things. So to get all those rebounds in that era is is insanity. For sure. All right, that's going to be it for this week's episode of You're Wrong and Here's Why. For Greg Crone, I'm Chris Horwardell. Thanks for listening, and we will see you back here next time.